Hi, everyone, and welcome to the HR Works Podcast, brought to you by HR Daily Advisor. I'm your host, Josh Zygmunt, Content Director for Simplify Media. The HR Works Podcast provides clear, relevant, and actionable information on topics that matter to you, the HR professional. When you're armed with the best practices and strategies to attract, retain, and engage top talent and deliver exceptional service to your organization, HR just works. In today's episode, we're joined by Monica Eaton, founder of Chargebacks 911 and its sister brand, FI911. Monica is an international entrepreneur of a leading financial software company, as well as a speaker, author, and fintech industry thought leader. She has also created the Lyft Mentorship Program to connect women professionals with female executives, all with the goal of creating greater opportunities for females to succeed in the STEM industries. With March being Women's History Month, We've asked Monica to join us today to share her insight and firsthand knowledge of the challenges facing women in leadership and to more specifically dig into the trend we're seeing across workplace leadership teams, and that's the great breakup. But first, let's get Monica introduced here. So Monica, welcome to the HR Works podcast, and thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. All right. Well, it's great to have you. Now, as you're meeting our audience, many of them probably for the first time, let's get you introduced to start. So if you don't mind, can you walk us through your career path a bit and tell us a bit more about Chargebacks 911? Sure, sure. Well, I have uh, a very unique career path. Uh, I ended up in a career that I would have never imagined. I was originally interested in, I studied art and architecture. So you would think what I do today is probably about as far removed from that as possible. But it actually is a little bit similar because I get to do I get to do something that I love. It's creative. It's in technology, which is kind of artistic and a little bit more designing. And I get to I really get to like create a business and see things come to life and bring it to fruition. So that's a bit of architecture, I guess. So chargebacks and chargeback sign one one. We operate in the payments industry, and it started out, uh, geez, almost twelve years ago now. Uh, in, and I started out even prior to that as an online merchant, um, fell into technology and solving problems and self-taught myself computer programming. Um, and really, you know, 2008 came along. It was a horrible year for all of us. And I had an idea, you know, without any liquid assets, I thought, you know, why don't I take the skills that I have in technology and some of the other businesses that I had been in. And I want to create an online marketplace. And I saw, you know, there's eBay and I had existing clients from my previous businesses. So I put my technology, you know, prowess to the test and thought, how hard can it be? It was very hard. I failed my way to success. (laughs) It was a very, very expensive education. Um, And but I was really committed to create this, you know, I was going to become the next eBay. And, you know, it was like every time that I got just to that edge of getting out the champagne, celebrating that we finally did it, then I would get hit with this nuance called chargebacks. And I did business in in the UK and in Australia. This was really an area that I found there wasn't a whole lot of cross-border, you know, e-commerce. So it was a sweet spot for my business but I couldn't figure out these chargebacks. And it's one of those crazy stories where, you know, you have an entrepreneur and you solve a problem that you think no one else must have. It must only be a problem for myself. 
And I, I, I delved in, you know, surveyed every single customer that filed a chargeback and a chargeback just to, just to explain really quickly. So this is what happens when, if, if you buy something online and you contact the merchant or the business owner, and then maybe they don't help you, maybe they do, maybe you just contact your bank because it's more convenient. And let's face it, you can go to your app probably and click a few buttons and then your bank gives you a refund. Well, if your bank gives you a refund, not the business owner that you purchase from, that's called a chargeback. And the problem is if you get too many chargebacks, then as a business owner, you can lose the ability to continue to process credit cards. And if you have an online business, that's going to put you out of business. So chargebacks can be a big deal. And I was getting a lot of chargebacks. So what I did is I finally, I was either going to go out of business or figure out a way to solve these. And the only way that I knew is to literally call and survey every single customer that had filed chargebacks. And I developed this huge campaign and surveyed thousands of consumers to find out I was my own worst enemy because I didn't have the right phone number that was published on whatever was showing on their credit card statement. They had no idea how to contact us. There were problems with shipments that were getting stuck at the border. So people weren't even getting their merchandise. And it was one thing after another. So we created this technology to look for all these different you know, parameters and score things and look at different zip code regions. And, and I also discovered that there were certain chargebacks that as a business owner, I could contest and I could defend myself. And so I started winning money back. And, and anyway, I solved the problem. So I, I didn't care about chargebacks, wanted to get out of the industry or get out of that problem and just focus on being a business owner, growing my business and becoming the next EK. And something crazy happened. I started getting calls from the banks that I did business with. They said, you know, Monica, I don't know what you're doing, but like your chargebacks went to almost nothing and you're recovering money. Can you talk to some other business owners that have the same problem? I said, sure. Well, one call after another thought, you know, actually I'm going to develop a consulting company. And this was the birth of chargebacks 911, which was really created because I hated chargebacks. <laughs> and actually it was, it was literally, it was my own rage thinking as a business owner, what I want is to dial 911 and be rescued from chargeback hell. So I'm going to pour my heart and soul out on the internet and tell everybody what they can do to get out of this chargeback nightmare because there was no solution. And push, you know, it's, the, it's such a crazy story. Weeks after that, I was contacted by the New York Times, then the Wall Street Journal, and very quickly realized, you know, this is a problem that many businesses, even the largest businesses have today, and I now have a mission. I'm going to create, I'm going to create a chargeback platform that solves these problems. So sold off the joint ventures and decided chargeback sign one one. That's great. And thank you for sharing that journey, Monica. Again, I, I love hearing everyone's path to where they are today and feeling that passion come through. Just It's really great to hear. And again, you started with an interest in architecture and really you built something. You built a solution to a problem that was in the marketplace. In being a woman in leadership in the U.S., you've got a front row seat in this shift that we've been seeing over the past couple of years that has been branded as the great breakup. 
And so I wanted to dig into that with you today and get a better understanding of where we stand in 2023 with the great breakup, but more so help us understand what factors have really led to so many women leaving their leadership roles across the U.S. Yeah, so I think that this has, you know, just like they talk about uh, COVID has created such a structural change. Uh, and I think that has has definitely parlayed into this transition that we've seen with women um, and minorities. Actually, it's, a, it's affected a lot of the diversity sectors um, that, that typically had a certain behavior. We've just seen behavior shift. And I think this is also an indicator for consumer behavior. I mean, it's it's been a catalyst of change in multiple arenas. And, and let me explain what I mean. So if we look at, you know, the effect that COVID had on society as a whole, and this is just my theory, you had a lot of financial insecurity and that created a shift in survival, right? So what that does is it shakes things up a bit. And what happens when you put people in environments where, you know, they wouldn't have put themselves in originally, then they expose a confidence that maybe they wouldn't have otherwise exposed because they develop an aptitude. And I can relate this to my own personal experience. I would have never gotten into technology if I didn't move to a school in my high school years that didn't have you know, fashion and home economics available as electives. And I was stuck taking two different computer programming classes that I never, ever would have touched. And, you know, I discovered I'm actually good at this stuff and I like it. <laughs> so, so I think women, you know, we saw more women getting into the marketplace, more women getting jobs. And, you know, and you had this culture where, hey, you can work at home, you can have a family, Let's face it, you can have it all, you can do all these different things, and this is just the way of the world. Well, now fast forward, we're out of that survival mode, but I think you know we've benefited from some of that change where women have discovered, you know, I, I like the idea of pursuing a career. I don't have to give up some of the things that I thought were a sacrifice in order to achieve you know, a different path. Maybe I can achieve both. Actually, I know I can achieve both because I just did it in the last two years and I have more confidence in what I want. So I think, you know, we've seen more of that where there's probably less of an appetite. You know, we don't see women leaving the workplace to just go stay at home and do nothing. I think if you look at the statistics, women are leaving to transition into starting their own businesses joining other firms, joining startups, changing plates, like moving to areas where they have more opportunity. And that comes because you recognize the value and the worth that you bring and you establish confidence and aptitude that probably wasn't there before. It's becoming a pivot point is what it seems like, a moment to kind of reassess, find that next opportunity, take that big next step forward. And it's really seemed to happen post-2020 has certainly been when we've seen that that massive swing. Was that really a tipping point, though, for this mass exodus or this mass kind of reset? Or was this a gradual shift that was coming? Um, I mean, look, I think like anything, you know, the Internet has been a growing trend. But do, do we believe that it 
that things would have shifted to an extent where every single demographic was going online? Probably not. I don't think that probably would have happened. You know, it would have always grown, but not at the rate where it's like instant mobility, the whole world, you're online or you're starving to death. (laughs) So, you know, it's, uh, I think that shift definitely played a massive role. Um, and, and the thing is, I mean, we're at a point of no return, right? You can't go back and re-engineer things, but I think roles have shifted. Um, there's, there's less, uh, you know, traditional structure that is forcing things to be in a certain place. And I think women are, you know, have expanded their horizon to recognize just what is possible and, and kind of break through that glass ceiling, which is great. So, so yeah, I'm not sure. I think to your point, things, things were on a trajectory to continue to, I guess, push up against some of those traditions. We see this with diversity quotas, you know, corporate America is getting on board, but I don't think that we would have had as much change if we didn't have that structural push as well. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. So what can organizations and their HR leaders specifically learn from the great breakup trend that we saw and are continuing to see? So I think across the board, one thing to pay attention to is, you know, people have different, just like people learn different and we can apply to those different, those different abilities and different styles. I think the same thing applies when you look in a work environment and specifically you know, organizations that are looking to retain all of their great employees, then you need to be, uh, I guess, much more vigilant to identify, you know, great performers and make sure that, you know, you acknowledge those performers and you give those performers opportunities. And I think that there's, there's not enough, um, you know, internal promotion and you lose great people because these great people aren't coming and asking for a promotion. You know, these great people aren't knocking on your door and saying, hey, I want that management job. So I think as an employer and, and you know, company culture, it needs to be first identified. Do you have opportunities to promote from within? Because you probably have a lot of opportunities to promote from within. And I don't think women have, most women have not, you know, crossed the border to where they're going to be, you know, uncharacteristic and be the the loudest voice in the boardroom yet. (laughs) That that probably, there's still probably like a difference, right? So, but just because you don't have the loudest voice doesn't mean that you may not be the most competent. And if they're not chosen and they are the most competent and they are most qualified, then they're probably going to leave because now their confidence and the demand is at a different level than it was five years ago where you could have the most competent, you know, unsung heroes, right? So every organization has all of these unsung heroes. A lot of the unsung heroes are probably women that have been in these organizations for a decade, even longer perhaps. Uh, So not recognizing these is now becoming a liability. And I think especially large corporates, you can't sit back on, you know, considering hey, we're just going to depend on the value, the tenure, this is what you should do. You know, there's there's a different mantra now and people want recognized and they don't want to feel like they need to fight for that recognition. If they do a good job, then actually the company should 
recognize that. Yeah. One thing to look at is, and we're having this conversation coming right off of Benefits Week on HR Daily Advisor and talking about benefits and resources that organizations can provide to their people to make for a greater employee experience. So what are some resources that organizations and their HR teams can provide to support and retain the talented women leaders of their workforce? Um, I think providing mentors is a fantastic resource. Um, there, frankly, there's not enough women mentors, but, but, you know, they don't have to be women to women. I, I think every organization, especially large corporates, right? You have really positioning a mentor with, with each, I think is there's nothing better than to have somebody that, that you can look at as a role model, lean on their shoulder, get advice, um, kind of show you the way of the world. I think that's, that's really important. Um, and then I, I really can't underscore enough about recognition. Uh, I, I don't think, I think, you know, historically, and, and this is probably still some spillover, even with some of the transitions that we've seen from COVID, um, but historically women don't ask for recognition. It doesn't mean that they don't want it. It doesn't mean that they aren't looking for it. And sometimes we take it for granted that, you know, you have these great performers, that's enough for them. They, they, they achieve a level of fulfillment. Um, but, you know, getting, getting some accolades and some recognition for a job well done really goes a long way. And if you don't, sometimes people are going to feel underappreciated. And it may not be intentional, uh, but, but those, those types of resources, I know, uh, really go a long way. In our company, we use kudos. Um, and so we create you know, they used to be handwritten, then they turned into, you know, electronic. Definitely, I think handwritten go a much longer way. For, and it helps both parties. It's amazing how much it changes your life just to force yourself to write five little kudos to people that have done a great job. And regardless of how stressful your day is, regardless of how horrible your team may have performed for the week, I promise you, there's going to be at least five people that have actually made your life better this week. And for you to take a minute and just write a thank you is going to mean the world to them. And it will probably improve your life even more. Um, and, you know, it makes them do things a little bit better. And then lastly, um, uh, you know, HR teams can really do a lot to uh, just create some fun events. You know, one of the things that I think that we've suffered from. I think there's been some benefits from the transitions and catalysts that COVID brought, but but we've also suffered a lot in, in just becoming very distant. And I know we hear about this all the time, you know, have virtual team calls, do all these things, have, uh, you know, I, I don't know, game night online, but there, you know, so we, we sometimes forget the power of humanity. People want to work for people they don't want to work. It doesn't matter how great your brand is or your company. Maybe that's going to get them in the door to start. But at the end of the day, it's feeling like you belong to a family. It's actually that personal touch and having events, picnics, getting to know family members, you know, this is what matters. And it's more feeling like you're welcome and you're working with your friends. And I, I always like the approach of thinking, you know, for us, it's, it's more about work-life integration. And I've stolen that from Zappos, to be clear. But it's true. Like, I, I don't know anyone that is passionate about their work that doesn't say, hey, you know what? I love my job because I get to work with my friends. 
you know what? You should get to work with your friends. Yeah. Like literally that's where you spend most of your life. So if you aren't friends with the people that you work with, go get another job. Um, but I think we forget like this whole idea of thinking, you know, there's work and then there's your friends and then there's your family. We're in a different world now. Social media is connected. Work is connected. Your friends are connected. Your family is connected. The more that those can integrate, the better. <laughs> it's all blended. Yeah, I think work-life integration, I love. I use the term work-life blend a lot on the podcast. And again, that was borrowed from uh, from one of our earlier guests as well. But it's that idea, again, that it's all interconnected. And so when you can provide resources, especially for women in leadership, that really help create that community and provide that support you're only going to, again, foster a better culture that really just, again, encourages their growth and the growth of the talented women in your workforce. Yeah. And you know what? You don't have to start from the ground up and develop and, you know, go hire experts or consultants. Literally, if you don't have any of that type of culture in your organization, target, create a committee and get people that work in every other department and say, hey, guys, we want to create a different culture. We want to create some events. I promise you will find a bunch of volunteers. It's bizarre, right? Because you're giving them more work, but giving them more work in a different way that's <laughs> right. social. When you allow people the autonomy to solve their own problem, then it's amazing. You you don't you find they don't only solve their own problem, but it actually creates a lot more motivation in the problems that you need to solve them in the real workplace. Yeah, that's a great perspective. And again, from from a leadership standpoint, too, that really makes a lot of sense. Again, providing that ownership, that onus, but also that opportunity creates this added engagement. So I love that. Looking at things from a leadership perspective and really in your efforts to help support women in leadership, what's one thing organizations should stop doing that's working against the success of women in leadership roles? Oh, Tricky question. And I, I guess two things. First, you know, having more empathy and, and looking at the long-term results of, look, every employee that you have, you are investing in that employee. They are an asset. This is not a robot. This is not a widget. And like recognize this is an investment and you're making an investment in this human, in this family, and they're actually joining a network in your community. Uh, and then second, you know, organizations really, the organizations that are succeeding today are those that are able to adapt quickly and change and you know recognize hey we're we're in an, an age of evolution right now where there's lots of innovation there's innovation on every single level and either you figure out a way to pivot you adapt you change you participate but the thing that doesn't work is deciding that you're going to be static and be enforcing and not change and you know, not being fluid in where we are is, is actually going backwards. And so having policies that you've just decided, this has always been our policy, we're never gonna change this, this is the way that it works. It's like, actually, that's not gonna be successful going forward. And you know, you're gonna make mistakes, but, but at the end of the day, if you are unwilling to look at how things you know, could possibly be and be less risk adverse with things internally, then honestly, like, who cares? Try a different policy. You can change it back. You know, listen to different feedback and challenge, you know, our motto is challenge the status quo for a reason, because honestly, I have to continue to remind myself <laughs> that 
you know, you never, you never figure it out. Like it's always a, a path of innovation trying to explore through trial and error. What can we do that's better? Yeah. Um, but I think that, that mentality is very, very relevant today. Well, culture is always evolving, right? It's not something that's set in stone. It's something that always can be adapted and changed and, and needs to be nurtured as well. I think that's always just an important way to look at it. That again, nothing is locked in and you can certainly try new approaches. If it doesn't work, go yeah. another direction. And, it's, and I will say it's a difficult balance. I mean, you know, I also think we are in an age of entitlement, I will say. So, I mean, it can go in both directions. So you really, you have to have uh, some stiff discipline in some regard and stay focused, make sure that you align with your mission, um, but be willing to try new things and, and really reevaluate what's most important and also evaluate Hey, what ideas could stand to be challenged? I love that. So Monica, looking at the idea of supporting that next group of women in leadership in an organization, and we talk about talent mobility a lot on the HR Works podcast, and this is a great way to look at how can we help the talent mobility and the growth of the women in the workforce? What are some ways that, that HR leaders and HR teams can help promote that next class? So, so again, I really think that there's probably a lot of very talented, um, I, I was on a podcast the other day and the, the term is intrapreneurs, right? So um, for every business, and we have almost 400 employees, there's no way that we could scale if all of these individuals reported to me. I mean, it's, it's impossible. And also, you know, I'm just, I'm the founder. I came up with the idea. I get involved in a lot of areas, of course. But the reality is I am surrounded by some pretty smart entrepreneurs that actually run their entire business unit. They make all these decisions. They're absolute geniuses. And sometimes we fight tooth and nail about whether it's the right decision. Does it hook into everything else? And, you know, this is an entrepreneur or an intrapreneur, right? <laughs> but like literally they're doing the same thing. They are innovators within a business. And there wouldn't, I don't think that there's any business that's scaling that doesn't have you know, these incredible minds that may not get credit for founding the company, but they literally built, you know, something that is absolutely intrinsic and it could be the, the secret to success. Um, so I think, you know, it's if you're looking at, you know, making sure that you can create that potential of talent growth that you need for scale, then you need to make sure that you have an attractive culture for that. Uh, you need to make sure that it's dynamic. You need to also, I think, look at, you know, when you're recruiting, identify first within your own organization, do you have any entrepreneurs currently? Because you probably do. And you know what? Maybe they don't have a title of a manager. And oftentimes, I think many organizations get into the mindset of, you know, here's our C-suite, here's our mid-level management, and then here's everybody else. If you really look at performance, you may find in the everybody else, you're going to find some real leaders. And those are people that are going to join another location after having all the business logic that they've been and you've been investing in them for a decade. They're going to join another business unit. And within a year, they're promoted to you know a VP title. And because the reality is they're the ones that are actually running the show. They're your entrepreneur and they're running everything. They're managing everything. And so the guy that you're talking to that's giving you a report is actually not managing anything. And it takes, you know, it takes a, a little bit of soul searching as well to actually 
drill down and establish metrics that can be transparent enough to really understand who's doing what. I think there's less importance, and this is actually a good thing, less importance of typical, you know, credentials, like who cares about a college degree anymore? Who cares if you've worked at X company? I see amazing rock stars that are in their early 20s that will run circles around anyone I've ever met. And you know what? They haven't been in payments, but six months. <laughs> I mean, today, that doesn't matter. Technology is moving so quickly. Really, what you're recruiting for and what you're interviewing for, you're not looking for someone that has you know tons of acumen in industry XYZ, because I don't think that there's a college degree that you can get in fintech. There's not. You need a mindset and you have to be progressive. Maybe you know, showing that you've had some accolades and different things that you've accomplished, work experience, there's things that you can't get it with a typical college degree, depending on the field that you're looking at. So what you're looking for to recruit, you know, people that are going to be rock stars, especially if you're looking for women, you want somebody that's, that can learn quickly. You want somebody that is, you know, they've proven that they've been successful in different things. Like, Look at areas that you can establish a lot of qualities and skill sets and somebody that, you know, has the, the passion and, and the interest and give them a big target. I think everybody likes challenge as well. So, yeah, th- there's some high bars. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, well, that, that's just opening up your scope, too, to recognize that, again, you should be looking at your whole organization and looking for some of those intangible items or even some of those soft skills that you mentioned that can't be learned in a classroom that that really are are learned and just nurtured through doing the work and taking some of the opportunity and that talent will rise to the top. And again, being open to looking at all parts of the company for that opportunity. I think that's a smart approach for people leaders going forward to really recognize that next batch of talent. Yeah. And even outside, I think you can look at synergistic companies Um, you know, not necessarily within your industry. I think that is super smart, actually. I will say, you know, if you recruit people from within your industry, you're going to pay a higher amount and you're probably not going to, I hate to say this, but you're probably not going to get as much interest and you may even have to retrain them a bit because if you are an innovator, especially if you're in fintech, you're probably doing things a little bit different than anyone else is doing because this is what's making you grow. Right. You don't want a legacy frame of mind. You want somebody that thinks a little bit different. So like for us, we recruit, you know, people who've studied criminal justice because they have the right brains for chargebacks. (laughs) But if I recruit somebody that has been, you know, in payments forever, they're going to think of how things work five years ago. I'm not building something for how things work. I'm actually looking at the new way of doing things, which is, smarter, faster, better, and taking apart some of the things that aren't necessary. So it's just putting those pieces together. And I think for any organization, you know, look at your recruiting pool and expand your mind a little bit. And companies can, they don't have to traditionally stay within their industry. They can recognize that people that are succeeding, there is a plethora of information online. You don't have to rely on a six month training course using manuals like you did in the old days. Actually, if you hire a competent person from another industry, guess what? They're going to go to YouTube. They're going to learn all about you. They're going to figure out ways to get trained and up to speed. 
And if they're competent leaders, they're going to be a competent leader in your organization as well. So you need to hire the people and, and, and then look at, you know, supplementing that person. So you have the right person, the right characteristics, the right level of grit and, and the rest is going to be easier. I love that. And thank you for that, Monica. Now, before we let you go, and again, having this conversation as part of Women's History Month, one thing I really liked in, again, doing some background, preparing for this interview was learning about the the Lyft Mentorship Program. And I'd love to hear just a bit more about that before we get you wrapped up here. Tell us a bit about the Lyft Mentorship Program, what you're looking to achieve, and really how that's helping, again, groom that, that next batch of women in leadership. Sure, sure. So we created this... Um, really because we noticed that, as, as we d- were discussing, there's a huge gap, especially in the industry where I'm at and also with corporate leaders and, and management, um, there's not mentors. Like, I, don't, I didn't know a mentor. I didn't, have, I, I didn't have the luxury of having, I would have loved to contact another woman and said, hey, you know, this is a challenge that I'm dealing with. What, what do you think? Because I just, I wanted, you know, it's great to have mentors that are men, but I'll tell you, there are some things just as a woman that you really want to talk to another woman and find out, hey, how do you, how do you manage this? What are you dealing with for this? Um, what have you found successful? And so, and it's, it's, it's a mentorship designed to help, you know, partner up mentors and mentees and also recognize those that have, you know, established a successful career path. They've learned to, they, they've, They've probably experienced trial and error, and it's all about learning from others and helping reduce the amount of error <laughs> because we're all going to try new things. Um, and also getting getting contacts, getting introductions. You know, there's a, a, without meeting the right people, uh, sometimes you lose some amazing opportunities. So meeting each other and networking and, and giving giving women an opportunity to grow their confidence, get some advice, um, get connected at the right level, and, and really develop um, a, a support community. That's great. And that goes back to, again, some of those resources that you called out initially to really help support women in leadership, not just the existing women in leadership, but the aspiring women in leadership who are really looking to grow their careers. And that's creating a mentorship program, creating a, a path for learning from each other, um, really supporting each other. And again, creating those opportunities to identify some of those intangible pieces that can really set someone apart and, and be perfect for that next leadership role to really be a change maker within an industry. Uh, whether again, it's the, the STEM industry that I know you're focused on with the Lyft mentorship program, but across the board, regardless of the industry there. So it's a great program you're working on for any of our listeners who are interested in learning more about the Lyft mentorship program, maybe even being involved in, in being a mentor, where can they go to learn more? Um, so the best thing you can contact us on LinkedIn, or you can just go to our website. So that's chargebacks911.com. And then, um, just send us an email. Uh, you can go there, send an email, let us know that you're interested and we'll reach out. I love it. All right. Well, Monica Eaton, founder of chargebacks911. Thank you so much for joining the HR works podcast. It was great having a conversation with you about just some of those opportunities that organizations and their HR leadership teams can create to really advocate and support 
the women professionals of their organization, really helping to set them up for uh, a successful future. So that's uh, it's great having this conversation with you. Now, before we sign off, I'd like to end with one final question to our, our guests, and it's all about motivation. When you wake up in the morning and your feet hit the floor, and, and you're a very motivated person, I could tell, uh, when your feet hit the floor to start your day, what's the one thing that gets you motivated to really get going? So I exchange a text message with a friend of mine every single morning. And actually we compete because you can see like when I woke up, if I looked at my phone, uh, if they looked at their phone. And so the text message that I send is actually uh, two things. So first, what was the kind act that I did the day before? And then second, what are three things that I'm grateful for? And so I'll lay in bed sometimes and think, oh my gosh, I don't want to wake up because I don't have a kind act. What did I do? <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, it does, it does get me motivated because I, I start thinking, you know, actually think of all the things that I'm grateful for. I can't wait to get started today. And, you know, it's, it just puts me in a different frame of mind. So I'm not thinking, what problems do I have to solve? <laughs> I'm, I'm focused on stuff that is positive. And then I go to the gym and like run off a bunch of stress. You yeah, you start your day with gratitude. That That's a great way to start it off. Yes. But thank you for sharing that, Monica. And again, Monica Eaton, founder of Chargebacks 911. Thanks so much for joining the HR Works podcast. It was great having a conversation with you, learning again about all the great things that you're working on now, but uh, hope to keep the conversation going. And uh, thanks again for joining. All right. Thanks again. Thank you for listening to the HR Works Podcast. Be sure to check out our new episodes every Tuesday. Follow us on all major streaming platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, and Amazon Audible.